If not for the Holy Spirit, we cannot meet God. If not for the Holy Spirit, we do not hear from God. We don't understand because the Bible tells us we understand as the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and teaches us. And so what a great song and what a great prayer. And I always think of the Charles Spurgeon, the preacher that um, I've been so admired from preachers through generations. And they said he had to walk up a hundred steps to get to where he preached. And every step he would say to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I won't do it a hundred times. But the point is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we want him to be with us, don't we? Joshua chapter 9 is our text this morning. We talk about the importance of character. I want to ask you to stand as I read the first 13 verses. Ask you to follow along in the word. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the great sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word, help us be honest as we look inside, Lord. Father, as David closed in Psalm 139, a great old song, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That, too, is my prayer and our prayer, Lord. Search us, God. Guide us this remaining worship time. In Christ's name, amen. As we talk about character, first I want to spend a few moments just seeking to try to define it. Uh, Will Rogers had quite a wit. And uh, he said this, Live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell 
your parrot to the town gossip? Do you have something you're trying to hide? Or is your life open? Are you genuine? In other words, be the same person whether you're in a crowd of people or whether you're at home with your family or if no one can see you. Be the same person. I love John Maxwell's definition of success. He says success is when the people who know you best respect you most. We're talking about integrity here. Webster defines it as moral uprightness. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, tom, which signifies completeness, In other words, there's nothing hidden or missing. What you see is what you get. It's interesting that the high priest, if you remember, he wore what they described as the thummim and the urim. And uh, these words, uh, urim means lights and thummim means integrities. And they believe these were precious gems that were worn in the breastplate of the priest, and that these signified that as they came, they came with a clean heart with no sin that was hidden, that that was open to the Lord. It's interesting when we think about putting on the spiritual armor, isn't it, in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, let the Holy Spirit look at you and see what's there. And man, if there's something that needs to be confessed, something that needs to be changed to agree with God, then that needs to be taken care of. Psalm 19.7 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's not about God changing to be like me. It's about me changing to be like God. Hey, that's when it's just reviving the soul. That's when there's revival. When we are willing to say, okay, God, here's this part of my life. And I want it to be pleasing to you. And you have shown me it is not pleasing to you. So that's what it's about, integrity. Secondly, integrity needs to be demonstrated. A couple of verses in the uh, scripture, Job 27, 5, Job declares, Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. In other words, I will be the same person all the time, no matter where I am. (laughs) In Psalm 101, verse 2, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. In other words... My word is true. Uh, My dad, years ago, um, some guy borrowed some money from my dad. Not like he had that much, but he loaned the guy some money, and the guy couldn't pay it back, and so he gave my dad some land. And there was a particular right-of-way on the land that was agreed upon by a handshake. Well, when my dad died and it was split and passed down between my sister and I, uh, guess what? There was no good right-of-way. 
Why? Because a handshake was not recognized as something that was legal. And now it's like, what has happened now? We have to write out contracts. Why? Because we can't trust and we can't believe in the word of one another. But here it is talking about living in such a way that the handshake counts. I read an example about a a car mechanic named Cecil Brenton. And a news reporter came and he interviewed 13 mechanics. They didn't realize they were being interviewed. But he came and all he did was loosen a spark plug wire. And he wanted to see what response he got when he had the mechanics check over his car. Twelve of the thirteen were ready to sell him some work that he really didn't need for his vehicle. But there was one guy, he plugged in the spark plug wire and he said, It's good to go. What do I owe you? No charge. I didn't do anything. And so he wrote about Cecil and uh, he, he had asked Cecil when he talked to him, he said, Man, he said, uh, you're honest. Why? Why why are you the honest guy? And and his answer was very simple. He just simply said, uh, I'm a Christian. I want to do what's right. And so when Cecil died, you know, it's really funny. That was put in the newspaper. And, of course, then he had more business than he could keep up with. <laughs> as people would come to him with their vehicles to be fixed. And ten years later, when he died from cancer, the newspaper reported again about him. And it simply said this. Cecil Brenton, 89, Christian mechanic, known for integrity. What about your name? It was put in there. Now, a description of integrity. Turn me to Psalm 78. There's a verse in Psalm 78 that speaks about David. Very important uh, about leadership. And last verse of Psalm 78, 72. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. With integrity of heart. A few years ago, um, they began to check out different congressmen, <laughs> and uh, I'm not listing any names. Okay, I'm just this is just a number of some you know what they found among some guys uh, in the four-year congressional evaluation of ethics. The report they received on sitting senators and representatives: 19 of them were caught writing bad checks, three of them were arrested for assault, eight were caught shoplifting. Fourteen were arrested on drug-related charges, and 29 of them were charged with spousal abuse. Eighty-four of them, drunk driving. People in places of leadership. The average citizen, we live with a sense of suspicion with our leaders. It's not what God wants. It's not His intent. The, uh, a couple of years ago, the chaplain of the Kansas Senate, he wrote this prayer and, and, and prayed in the Senate. Omniscient Father, help us to know who's telling the truth. One side tells us one thing, 
the other just the opposite. If neither side is telling the truth, we'd like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name. Paul uses a synonym in his writings to the early church. Blamelessness. To have a a life that has moral uprightness where there is blamelessness. It's interesting in the qualifications for deacons and elders both. God's servants who are leaders in the church. Blamelessness is on the list. These need to be people who have respected integrity. People of character. It's an important qualification. Our scripture this morning is a description from the scriptures of a guy with integrity. The first verses I read uh, this morning in our scripture reading, it tells us about the fact that God was sending out his people to take over the land. In Deuteronomy 20, we read that God says the seven Canaanite nations, and they need to be taken out. They need to be wiped out. Well, uh, starting in verse 3 of this text, we read about uh, some of those people, the Gibeonites, and they thought, oh, we got to do something. So they got sneaky and put on ragged clothes. You know, their bread was moldy and sticky. Uh, Atticus likes that word icky, so I'm into icky. Uh, and icky, and, and then they, they begin to, to travel and they come to Joshua and the people. And they come up with this ruse. And they say, we've come from a long way. And we're tired. And we've heard that, you know, we need to trust you. And will you show us mercy? Will you show us grace? And of course, it ends up. They, they weren't six hours away. They weren't six days away. They were six miles away. In Gibeon. And as a result of that. I want to show you something, though, in chapter 9, verse 14, that I think is a key to all of this. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Look, most of the messes you and I get into, we don't inquire of the Lord. We want to blame him, but guess whose fault? It is mine, yours, because we leave God out of our decision making. And that's what happened here. There was this ruse, but no one stopped and said, Lord, help us. Give us discernment. God, show us what to do. And so they stepped where they shouldn't step. And it caused a big problem. We've all been there, got the T-shirt. Ah, yeah. So, now the question is, as we look at this section of Scripture, how do Joshua and the leaders handle it? They messed up. They didn't seek God. They made a bad decision. Now, let's go on in the text. <laughs> Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard they were neighbors living near them. And guess what happened? I call it the mood of the mob. I can't believe our leaders did this. They're stupid. They should have listened to God. Why did they make such a decision? I know how we can remedy this. 
We'll take those guys and we'll make it right. Second chance. But that's not what occurs. Verse 18, as we read, But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord God of Israel. It was a time for integrity. What are you guys made of? Are you who you say you are? When you promise something to the Lord, do you keep the promise? Does your life match up with your lips? The people began complaining, but the leaders held to the oath they had made before the Lord, even though there was grumbling. Verse 18 and then 19, the leaders answered, We have given them an oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. (laughs) This is what we'll do to them. We will let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They took God seriously and they took his oath before God seriously, their oath before God seriously. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Now, um, look, God had said, wipe these guys out. Don't show them mercy. And there was a ruse here and there was mercy that was shown. But isn't this just a beautiful picture of the grace of God? Listen, guys, none of us deserve God's grace and mercy. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. We love to quote John 3, 16. Go ahead, say it with me. Most of y'all know the King James version of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the next verse talks about being condemned by not believing on the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, verse 18, you go down there and it says, Whoever believes on the name of the Son of God is not condemned. But it says, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's not about, I will be condemned. Without Christ, I am condemned. I have a sinful heart. I don't deserve His forgiveness. I don't deserve His mercy. And and here's a picture here of these people. God had said, wipe them out. And and yeah, everything was wrong, but God made everything right. And that's what I want to look at as we go down through this section of Scripture. And as we learn the work that God does through widows. (laughs) It's interesting... uh, Look down further uh, through chapter 9. It says, uh, Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why do you deceive us by saying we live a long way from here while actually live near us? You are now under curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. 
So Joshua saved them from the Israelites. He saved them from the church people. (laughs) And they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. You see where they worked? They worked at the altar of the Lord. These were not God-fearing people. These were not people whose heart was in tune with God. But they worked at the altar of the Lord. It was there that they saw the grace of God day after day. And it was there that they saw these people of integrity who said, we're keeping our oath to God that we made. We're not going to wipe you out. You can serve here. And I believe as they served in that place, God began to change these people. Suddenly, they began to see about the grace of God. And mercy and love of God. And it made all the difference. Matter of fact, if you track down the Gibeonites afterward through the Old Testament account. It's interesting. uh, You read that many of them refused to follow rebellious Israelites into idolatry years later. (laughs) These people who were idolaters. They're now saying, guys, don't turn away from God. Why? Something happened. Something happened in them. After the nation Israel's divided, David places the tabernacle where? In Gibeon for safekeeping. Why would he do that? Something's happened to these people. 500 years before the birth of Christ, during the leadership of Zerubbabel, the genealogies record that among those who longed to return from exile to Jerusalem, were the Gibeonites. One of the more fascinating lines in Israel's history is the public commitment of the Gibeonites. The record is in Nehemiah's own journal. Nehemiah returned to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Guess who volunteered to help him? The Gibeonites. Join him to complete the reconstruction Of their former home. Their forefathers had been deceivers. But their deception had been overwhelmed. By a man of integrity. And a lineage of faithful service to God. Began in a people. That once did not recognize. The living God. Have you ever thought about the fact. That you and I are surrounded by Gideonites. There are people all around us. Who do not know the living God. And they're looking for people of integrity. They're looking for Joshua's. Or put your name in there. To be a person who is what he proclaims to be. So that God may work. It is when. God's ways match up with our words when we become in tune with Him. When we face those challenges, those tests each day, how we handle them is a testimony. And brothers and sisters, when we handle them with real integrity and moral uprightness, 
it displays the grace, glory, and love of God and how He changes lives. Let me close with a scripture, I mean not a scripture, a prayer from the Puritans. It's a book entitled The Valley of Vision. Almighty God, as I cross the threshold of another day, I commit myself to thy care. Incline my heart to thy ways. Mold me wholly into the image of Jesus as a potter forms clay. Make my lips a well-tuned harp to sing thy praise. Let those around me, let me add all those Gideonites, see me living by thy spirit, unconfirmed to lying vanities, clad in the entire armor of God, especially the breastplate of righteousness, showing holiness in all my doings, May I view all things in the mirror of eternity. Order this day all my communications according to thy wisdom and the gain of mutual good. May I speak each word as if my last word and walk each step as my final one. If my life should end this day, let this be my best day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, everyone here today. We are here by divine appointment. Lord, we, you've brought this group together for a reason. And Father, like David, we invite you to look in our hearts, Lord, to search our hearts to see if there be any wicked way inside that needs to be dealt with. And Lord, I just pray that I give you permission to change me, Lord. And that each of us would do so. And that this time of altar would be an altar of rededication or an examination before you. To see if we're in the faith and to see what we look like in our faith. And may we respond whether it's to pray at this altar to you. To make decisions where we sing and stand. Or to come and present and declare to your people a decision you want us to make that we might be people of integrity. Lord, have your way. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.